Hello, everyone, and welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Justin Scase, Senior Editor of the EHS Daily Advisor. So there are many health threats facing the workforce today, and we're not just talking about COVID-19. Ailments like stress, fatigue, obesity, mental health issues, lung and heart disease, just to name a few, continue to burden the public. Uh, These issues don't just negatively affect workers, but their organizations as well. And the entire working world can benefit from addressing the overall health of our populace, both nationwide and worldwide. So for World Health Day, coming up on April 7th, we're sitting down with two guests from the Total Worker Health Program at the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, or NIOSH, a part of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and they have some great insight and tips for our audience of EHS professionals looking to help create a healthier workforce. So we're very excited to have on the show today, Dr. L. Casey Chosewood and Dr. Paula Grubb. Casey is the director of the Office for Total Worker Health at NIOSH, and Paula is a research psychologist at NIOSH in the Division of Science Integration. So Casey and Paula, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on EHS on Tap. Thanks, Justin. It's really a pleasure to be here. We really appreciate uh, your inviting us on today. Thanks, Justin. Absolutely. So uh, to start things off, uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Um, What have your journeys in health and safety been like? And what are you working on now at NIOSH's Total Worker Health Program? Thanks so much for the opportunity again to be here. Uh, So I guess I should say up front that uh, really my dream full-time job is just to be a grandfather. Okay. (laughs) So that's, uh, (laughs) I find myself spending more and more of my uh, free time with with my eight-year-old granddaughter and my uh, two-year-old granddaughters, Lily and Emery are like um, like the joy, you know, the, the fun that I get to have every uh, weekend or at soccer practice during the week. So if I could have a full-time work that was kind of satisfying on every level, it would be, okay, full-time grandfatherhood. And if anybody's <laughs> contemplating that out there, I say go for it. It's like the perfect <laughs> job, okay? Um, but... I do have other pursuits as well, including uh, Total Worker Health and our work here at NIOSH, which has been uh, also very engaging and enjoyable. Uh, So I got my start in in medicine as primary care physician, so taking care of patients, seeing them in my office, uh, always doing, though, uh, work in the occupational field as well, seeing patients who clearly are not just uh, uh, homebodies, but their work bodies as well. And knowing that that the connection between what people do at work and what people do at home is extremely um, connected. You don't leave the, all of your health issues and challenges in the parking lot when you walk into the workplace. And sort of on the other hand, when you have issues that come up at work, whether it's an injury or challenges or stressors or a lot of workplace demands, you don't leave those on your desk or on your on the factory floor when you go home. You bring those back to your home place and it impacts your family and your kids and your partner and your uh, friends. So understanding this really strong connection between work and health is really where my research and my practice interests have become. Um, in addition to private practice, I've also spent some time as a medical director of the large tech manufacturing company, Lucent Technologies, 
and I've also been the medical director of CDC's clinics. So with that intro, I'll pass it over to uh, Paula to give you a little bit of her background, and then we'll answer the second part of your question. My background is nowhere near as stellar as Casey's, uh, but it's an interesting path. Um, I come from an experimental uh, psychology background, experimental psychology and human factors, and I think I thought I was going to be doing some work with uh, you know, airplanes and uh, helmet-mounted virtual displays like in Top Gun, which was the movie that was out at the time. Um, and then I ended up finding out about a job opportunity at NIOSH, uh, it, it, which is a big employer in Cincinnati. So I came on board doing work um, in uh, neurobehavioral research, which was we looked at a lot of cognitive um, motor skills postural sway and other kind of um, effects that chemicals in the workplace uh, might have on the workers. So I went on um, field studies to lead smelting plant um, and an aluminum processing plant in the early days, and then um, ended up transitioning into uh, stress research and work organizations. So I started doing a lot of work on job stress, uh, workplace violence, which was a very big topic at the time, um, bullying and management practices, and then started working in uh, the area of total worker health um, because a lot of those things, such as fatigue and stress, come under that general umbrella. Uh, And currently, um, I've been working on uh, the issue of the opioid crisis and uh, first responders um, in the workplace. So, Great. Yeah, it's really been great to work with Paula because so many of the challenges that we see in modern workplaces really revolve around this issue of high levels of demands that are oftentimes very difficult for workers to meet that bar. And when people can't meet all the demands of work, whether it's new technology, long hours, tough working conditions, the body's reaction to that, the the thing we feel is this increased level of stress. And issues to both prevent and manage that stress are really taking sort of front and center approach to the total worker health portfolio. And we oftentimes see the distal, the downstream effects of not managing stress well, of not preventing stress well. And that shows up in and, you know, challenges at work, increased conflict between workers, between supervisors and workers, certainly productivity suffers. Unfortunately, people carry that stress home. It translates into increased risk for chronic disease or substance use issues, as Paula mentioned. We certainly see some workplaces really challenged with the opioid overdose crisis. Uh, We see suicide risks increasing in some of our Uh, workplaces and in our certain sectors of of the economy. So these are all real challenges that really closely look at that interface between our working lives and our personal lives. Generally areas that have not been in the domain of the traditional safety purview. So I think that's one of the uh, important aspects of NIOSH's research portfolio in this space that total worker health specifically addresses. How can we use the workplace as a venue, use safety as the entry point to look more broadly at all of the challenges workers face on and off the job? And in a nutshell, that's really what total worker health is. It's what kind of programs, practices, and policies, those three Ps, are necessary 
to impact workers in the greatest way possible, keeping them safe, the bedrock of total worker health, certainly the expertise in the history of NIOSH is all about safety at work, building on that to look beyond just people's experiences at work to say what additional programs, what additional interventions can we provide using the workplace as a venue, using employment as the vehicle to further increase the well-being of those workers. Now, obviously, that's good for the worker. It's good for the family that they come home to every day. They're safer. They're less likely to get injured. They're happier when they get home. They're able to pursue life more vividly at home. But those people also wake up the next day and bring that higher level of health and well-being back to the workplace. And the employer benefits as well. And that's sort of the win-win cycle of really total worker health improvement for organizations, individuals, and families and communities. Perfect. So, um, as I mentioned, there are some upcoming health awareness events in April. Uh, I, I mentioned World Health Day is April 7th. All this week, April 5th through 11th, is National Public Health Week. And April is Stress Awareness Month. So, with all this health awareness um, uh, going on right now, in your work at NIOSH and Total Worker Health, uh, we've talked a little bit about it, but uh, if you could go into some more detail, what have you identified as some of the biggest health-related challenges that are facing the workforce today? Thanks. I'll let Paula lead us off with uh, her response to that, and then I'll add in some things afterwards. Well, as you pointed out, you know, um, the stress awareness is, I think that's very key. Um, you know, uh, when you tell people you work with job stress, they're like, oh, you must have a really interesting job. I have a lot of job stress that I can tell you about. And I think um, safety professionals and HR professionals um, need to sort of increase their comfort around these issues um, to be more help. Um, they already have the skills to mitigate or address the challenges workers face. And the stress is one of the things that shouldn't be really any different. Casey, did you have anything to add? Yeah, thanks, Paul. You know, I, I think these observances, these national observances and international observances really give us an opportunity to think more broadly about some of the challenges that workers are facing. And Paul is right. Stress is oftentimes like the common pathway that any kind of challenge that a worker has finds its way into an elevated level of stress. But some of the challenges that we're seeing workers deal with Obviously, we can't have a conversation about the challenges of work without addressing the, the major uh, impact that the pandemic has had on workplaces, how it's changed our relationship to work. Many of us now sort of work around the clock because our home is our workplace, right? Many of us, though, have also uh, had to continue to physically report to work and face new stressors and new worries and, and new challenges. Many of us are more isolated than ever before. Many of us, um, unfortunately, are, are, you know, alcohol sales, for instance, gone way, way up during the pandemic. People talk about weight gain, the COVID-19 pound weight gain as, as a, one of the challenges that people are facing. It's altered our ability to find recreation, to socialize, to uh, do those things that we might do to lower our stress levels. Those are all issues that workers and employers are having to deal with. The other real change that was happening before COVID that sped up a lot with COVID and is likely to remain with us for a long time to come is this constant love-hate battle we have with technology. 
right? There are parts of technology that have really been great. They have revolutionized how we work and how efficient we can become. But oftentimes technology becomes our master and we become subservient, if you will, to the forces of, of the, the, the constantly changing new um, learning curve, all of the new demands that, that new technologies places on us. There's also a time urgency or a sort of a, a ticking clock, if you will, where we're expected to utilize technology to respond more rapidly, to be always available, always on, um, a 24-7 kind of accessibility that was never even a, an option before. But now because it is, people feel this underlying pressure to have a sense more urgency to respond and to always be on and to be, um, you know, I, I think more perhaps um, engaged with their work 24-7. Some people benefit from that. Some people love that. Others really suffer in that environment. And the ability to, to find how your workers thrive or how they really are stressed with these new technologies is an important um, area for us to intervene in as well. The other, I think, critical area where we, we should draw more attention with some of these national observances is really to talk about some of the challenges with substance use disorders and work. Because, as you know, that's an increasingly challenging issue. Overdoses from, from some of the very powerful drugs, illicit drugs especially, that are on the street today are unfortunately rising. More than 40 states around the country have, have reported increases in overdoses during the pandemic. And luckily, Paula is quite expert in some of these issues. So I'll ask her if she wants to share anything with us about the current opioid overdose crisis and, and in the context of work. Well, I think, um, you know, there are workplace conditions that can lead to uh, prescription opioid and illicit use um, that lead to um, that can lead to unsafe working conditions. And you can get injuries like slips, um, trips and falls. Also, heavy workload, job insecurity and job loss um, are things that people are experiencing right now. And so, um, you know, they also have little control over um, their jobs, so and lack of paid leave and other benefits, all have a lot to do um, with the opioid crisis. And now, with the pandemic on top of that, it's uh, with people are isolated; they're not able to seek um, some treatments that they would. Um, that kind of creates a little bit of a perfect storm uh, for this uh, problem to keep going. Um, is there anything else you want me to add, Casey, right now? You know, I think you hit it right on the head. There are so many elements that tend to influence who will be at higher risk than others. Not having a job, for instance, right? So if you're unemployed or you have insecure employment so that there are periods of boom or bust, construction is a good example, oil and gas extraction, mining historically has been one of those challenging professions where people don't have a secure employment over time. Rust Belt states where there were a lot of job loss. Those are the hard hit areas of the country and the hard hit professions where we saw early indication of tremendous risk for substance misuse and overdose death. For instance, in the state of Massachusetts, the leading cause for several years of workplace death was opioid overdose, was drug overdose. Wow. So it, this is, you know, it wasn't a motor vehicle accident. It wasn't falls. It was drug overdose was the leading cause of workplace death for the entire state. Um, other hard hit 
industries, construction. If you're a construction worker in this country, your risk for, for overdose death is five to seven times that of other workers. And it isn't only because people who have substance use disorders go into construction. This is an indictment of the challenges of the work itself, the insecurity of the work, the harsh conditions, oftentimes the long hours, the uh, proneness to injury that might lead to pain, uh, working with pain, not having paid sick leave that might allow you to stay home and recover. But instead, I'm going to take this medication so I can make it through my workday. All of those things certainly contribute to the challenge. So one of our major projects within Total Worker Health right now is optimizing the culture of workplaces so that they are supportive of people who may be having some of these challenges. First, prevent those working conditions that could cause a problem. But beyond that, how can we build a culture within our organizations that recognize when people may be struggling, screen them if necessary, and then give them confidential, private services and resources to gain the help they need? We're also strong believers in peer-to-peer supports, how you can actually help someone who's in recovery, help someone who's trying to struggle and make that decision to get help. We see a lot of value there, um, you know, where people really uh, trust their colleagues and and the social supports that come from a workplace-supported recovery approach, a peer-to-peer approach, has been promising, especially in some industries and occupations. And just to add on um, to a few things, Casey said, you know, since March of 2020, there has been, you know, um, an acceleration in the increase of overdose deaths for stay-at-home orders and many of the reasons um, we were already cited. And also, as he said, in Massachusetts, um, it was a leading cause of death, but there's been a geographic um, kind of rolling out and change in this um, that, that tends to involve synthetic opioids, for example, fentanyl. Um, and there is a large increase currently in the Western United States. And also there are um, more overdose deaths now that are related to other um, substances, including stimulants like methamphetamine. So polysubstance um, is something that is on the radar to be looked at. Well, I mean, these, these are some really big challenges that uh, you're, you're describing here. Um, now, next, could you tell us a little bit about how the Total Worker Health Program is addressing these challenges? Um, what are the program's goals? Uh, what sorts of resources are available for employers? And what are the benefits of a Total Worker Health approach? Wow, that's a, that's a perfect setup for uh, <laughs> for letting us tell you more about the uh, portfolio of Total Worker Health as it is right now. What are some of our goals and priorities, and really where we see our value for workers and for employers? Um, we really are all about solving problems, and as and as I mentioned, you know the three P's: policies, practices, and programs. Really are all designed really to enhance the work experience and at the end of the day, increase the well-being of workers. And we know that when you increase the well-being of workers, the organization wins as well. So there is something in it for employers as well. For those employers who say, you know, I want you to save us some money. We believe our approach does that as well. It's We're not designed to say, hey, we're all about cost savings here. But clearly when you have fewer injuries, when you have a safer workplace, when people are healthier and they spend less money on healthcare, when they have less presenteeism, which means I'm showing up at work, but I'm not 100% there because I'm suffering either from stress or I'm depressed or I'm, you know, my diabetes is not well controlled. 
or they're absent altogether from work. All of those metrics improve when you build a better culture of safety and health. And, and that culture building is, is really, I think, if, if you had one sentence of what is total worker health, it's building a safer, healthier culture for workplaces. You don't do that overnight. You can't chase cost savings overnight. But some, some of our research shows cost savings very early on, especially on the safety side, the workers' compensation costs going down when people concentrate on these things. We also have a great resource on our website called Making the Business Case, which is really all about the tangible benefits that employers and by extension workers can gain from the total worker health approach. So I would encourage people to go to our website and the quickest way is just to Google total worker health and there's a specific header uh, making the business case. But let's take a, a broader step back to look at our portfolio. Total Worker Health is roughly a decade old now in NIOSH, so we are now embarking on sort of what are our next decade strategic goals for the program. And the way we approach that, what I think is really instructive for employers who want to put in a program for their own workplace. Don't guess at what your workers really need. Instead, we think that workers should have a strong voice in what the program looks like, right? If you have a group of workers who are largely, let's say, men in their 50s, you're probably not going to have a lot of uh, information about um, family planning or birth control options or about, uh, you know, young parenting. That's probably not going to be the focus of your conversation. You might have more on prostate health or on retirement planning or, you know, issues that are more germane to that population. So we call this in our research terms the participatory approach, which means if you want people to engage in any program offering, in any approach or problem that you need solving, you need to get their input. And it is a strong focus of much of our research is how can you best listen to workers as the first step in addressing their needs and issues? Don't guess at what their challenges are. Actually listen to them so that they have a voice in program development. And when we listen to employers and when we listen to workers, we're hearing that they need better solutions around workplace stress. They need better solutions around mental health issues, including increasing rates of anxiety and depression, especially worsen during the pandemic. They need better approaches around substance use and workplace supported recovery. So that's in our portfolio moving ahead. They need more emphasis on the that's sort of what the future of the workplace will look like. That includes technology, but it also includes changing the way people are employed. There is no traditional one job for a lifetime any longer. That almost is non-existent. The average worker will have more than a dozen jobs. That number is probably going to increase as time goes on. And oftentimes people will piece together multiple jobs to make a living. How do you deliver traditional safety programming or even health benefits in that kind of model? So we're not just looking at the individual employer's experience, but the system as a whole. What are the ways to influence the whole system so that you design programs and you deliver benefits and you um, nourish the employment arrangement that folks have to have the best uh, health and safety outcomes? These are big picture items to look at, but extremely important because you're not going to get all of your benefits and your health care and all of the other sort of traditional components of work, even traditional safety training is not going to be delivered in the same way in the future as it was a decade ago. 
So we want to look at the big picture, sort of these massive changes that are occurring and find the best way forward so that workers win and organizations win. And that's, that's, those are definitely some of the big things on our radar right now. Paula, I know you have some thoughts in this area too. Anything you want to add? Um, no, just to say that I think one of the main things that you brought up I think is important is this participatory research. And one of the things NIOSH does is we fund uh, what are called Total Worker Health Centers of Excellence, um, and they do a lot of initiatives for research to practice. And I know from working with some of them, they've been very successful in different industries and different arenas um, by using a participatory approach. I mean, I can remember um, starting at NIOSH and the idea of participatory research was uh, considered, you know, just very different and not something, you know, that was done. And we had started to do participatory research. And um, now I think we're seeing just how important it is to include uh, everyone in the workplace so that there's buy-in and there's ownership and a sense, you know, creating a well-being for everyone. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that whole participatory angle, I remember hearing a, a speaker once talking about creating a safety culture and he said um, people support what they help to create. So that's that's really sort of what you're talking about here, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely, Justin. You know, the, not only are people closest to the issue, but when they feel they have a voice in solving whatever that issue is or contributing to that issue, there's immediate buy-in. People see their own ideas, and then when they have a, a chance to actually follow or participate in them, they're far more likely to engage and stay engaged and bring others along, right? Right, right, absolutely. So um, our podcast audience for EHS on Tab, it's made up of environment, health, and safety professionals. So how can, uh, how can this group of professionals help their organizations on this front? How can they help uh, the workers cope with health challenges and also maybe implement changes at their organization that can better help their workplaces uh, to thrive? Are you looking at me? <laughs> okay. Go for it, um, You know, I think many safety and health professionals uh, kind of know this, but there's science that supports this as well, um, that risk factors in the workplace can contribute to health problems that people used to think were unrelated to work. So, for example, there are work-related risk factors for sleep disorders, cardiovascular disease, depression, obesity, and a lot of other health outcomes. So I think um, the reach that potential issues of concern to total worker health is actually, as Casey's pointed out, very broad and comprehensive and includes a connection between work and all um, chronic diseases, including mental health conditions like anxiety, depression, uh, and substance misuse. So I think an expanded focus recognizes there are uh, links between health conditions that may not arise from work, but that they may adversely be affected by work. Yeah, I, I think that's right on. And, and you know, how uh, the, the managers and supervisors and folks who lead these programs can intervene, I, I think I would just reiterate that obviously listening, that participatory approach, a really good starting point. Um, and then find out what programs or interventions people want to uh, participate in. So asking the question, um, you know, what matters to you? What are your challenges? What, what are issues, uh, 
problems that we can help you solve as a, as a workforce. Um, and then being mindful too that oftentimes working conditions play a role in how well people make it through their workday. And are there ways that we can optimize the demands that that people um, have on their lives these days? Probably offering the maximum amount of possible flexibility to workers is perhaps one of the most uh, immediate ways to, to give people a sense of more control and, and decrease stress. So letting people decide at, at, you know, start time or stop time. If it's not as critical um, that they all be on the same task at this exact same time, giving people the flexibility to choose their start time, especially when there are a lot of competing home demands, would be an amazing uh, intervention that's, that's fairly workable in many, many different settings. I also think it's important for um for folks to to both um, listen, but also then to to communicate well, to have a vision, to say at the senior level that this is what we're committed to. We're interested in long-term commitment to you. Culture building is is something that we're going to put our resources in and we're going to follow through and then walk the walk. You know, we can't say one thing, but then have policies that uh, push workers or, or that, that say, hey, you, you talk a good game, but what do you really what are you really all about? So following through um, with a commitment to, to, to following those, um, those commitments, I think, is important. When we talk about the, the sort of where the rubber meets the road, it's that frontline supervisor who oftentimes has the most control over the, the actual demands of the work, the working conditions that people um, have day in and day out. I often tell, tell people that, you know, who has more influence on your health than your personal physician that's your frontline supervisor. They tend to have the most control on what kind of day you're going to have, what kind of pressure you're going to feel under, how you feel, how accomplished, how satisfied you feel, how you're appreciated, rewarded, uh, recognized for your work, all really lies on that relationship with that frontline supervisor. So a lot of our total worker health programs are involved, are involved actually training those frontline supervisors to be supportive, to learn the right skills in recognition and reward, to be able to listen, to be able to problem solve, lower the barriers that people face in their jobs day in and day out. Those frontline supervisors are the key to a successful organization. Uh, Sure, they need support from above. Sure, there is some element of personal responsibility that workers bring to the table. But our approach is that you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck looking at organizational interventions as opposed to personal behavior change interventions. So we really look to that frontline supervisor as the key to positive outcomes for safety and for health. Absolutely. So um, the the COVID-19 pandemic, it's it's drawn greater attention to workplace health issues in, in general, beyond infectious disease, uh, things like stress, substance abuse, mental health, all of these things that we've been talking about here today. So um, with vaccinations rolling out and new cases dropping in some regions, we're starting to see maybe some light at the end of the tunnel here and a possible return to something resembling normalcy. So my final question for you both is, Do you think that organizations will learn from this collective experience and maybe hew closer to a total worker health approach? Or are they going to go back to the way things were and maybe readopt a business as usual sort of mindset? What do you think? 
Yeah. You know, I, I honestly think the pandemic has forever changed the way people will view their relationship with, with work. Mm. My guess is that there will be a lot of folks who never transition back to going into the office uh, <laughs> as routinely as they did before. So the speed at which we will adopt remote work, um, distance work, um, gig work that, that allows you to work in many different organizations at the same time, um, sharing your expertise across a broad number of platforms will be probably a trend that doesn't reverse but could very well accelerate. Um, the fact that we tend to work more singularly or in isolation is also likely to persist after the pandemic for good and for bad. Some people will thrive in that environment. Other people will find that quite uh, that remoteness quite isolating and quite negative. Um, so I think it's going to uh, it'll be interesting also to see how this has accelerated the use of certain technologies or how it may have delayed the implementation of others. Um, so I think those are changes that we still don't know fully be able to predict the outcome of. I do think there will be always a, a, a bit of heightened awareness around the risk for infectious disease issues as we move forward and probably more emphasis on an annual basis around flu prevention, for instance, because, you know, one of the, the positives from the COVID experience is we have far many, many fewer cases of influenza and deaths from influenza have dramatically decreased this year. That proves that if we were to take some of these measures in the future during flu season, we'd likely see better public health outcomes from flu deaths as well. So that's a, probably a takeaway that hopefully will outlive for uh, COVID. Um, the other challenge, though, I see is that this mixing of work and home um, is going to continue to be a significant stressor for workers and, and for organizations in general. And trying to cleanly divide our work from our home responsibilities um, is, is something that may never be able to go back exactly as clean cut as it was before. It was already blurring, as we all know, before the pandemic. This has accelerated that, and it's likely to never resume uh, or you know return to where we were before. But I actually think that that could be the source of new levels of stress that our workforce has not dealt with before. The guarantee of sort of traditional employment is also something that we're likely to, to see threatened uh, in the post-pandemic era. And that lack of security brings with it an additional level of stress as well. So we worry that we're going to need more stress interventions, more mental health interventions, more attention to the health and safety effects of these different employment arrangements. That's certainly going to be front and center on our radar as we look to the future. Um, and then again, to look at some of these downstream health effects like depression, anxiety, substance use disorders, um, you know, suicidality, those are all critical issues where we feel like the workplace uh, can play an important role to support workers, to prevent some of these issues, to make sure they have the resources and the benefits they need to adequately address them. Paul, I know this is an area that you've given a lot of thought. Anything you want to add? Um, no, I think really you covered it, Casey. I don't think there's anything to add at this point. Yeah, our hope really is that that we are a resource also for employers. So we're very much interested in opening the door to questions and to recommendations about our portfolio as it moves forward. Folks can reach us, uh, twh at cdc.gov is a quick way. You can get to us through our website as well, just by Googling total worker health. 
Paula mentioned that we have a number of research centers of excellence around the country that are funded to actually research these very questions about how all of these things impact uh, workers and what are the what can we learn as the best evidence-based approaches to addressing some of these big picture challenges. We also have a network of 52 total worker health affiliates and they are learning laboratories around the country that have interventions in place on the ground that are doing training, that are doing uh, actual interventions with, with workplaces and with groups of workers. And we're learning from them and sharing those best practices across our network. We have a quarterly newsletter that updates people on all our research and practice information. And now there are six schools that offer courses, degree programs and certificates in the field of total worker health. And maybe if I can make a little news, we're actually going to establish a society of total worker health professionals so that people who want to learn more about this sort of emerging field of practice within occupational safety and health can join us and become part of a learning community uh, that grows skills in these areas so you can bring total worker health to bear to benefit your own organization. So more to come on that, Justin. Excellent. Something to keep a lookout for in the in the weeks and months to come here. So great. This has been great. Uh, a lot of great insights and advice for EHS pros for World Health Day 2021. Um, thank you so much again, Paula and Casey, for joining us today on EHS on Tap to discuss these important workplace health issues. Thanks, Justin. Have a great week. Thanks for having us, Justin. Yeah, you're very welcome. It was great to have you. Uh, we'd also like to thank our audience for tuning in today. Remember to keep an eye out for new episodes of EHS on Tap and keep reading the EHS Daily Advisor. To stay on top of your safety and environmental compliance obligations, get the latest in best practices, and keep your finger on the pulse of all things related to the EHS industry. Until next time, this is Justin Scase for EHS on Tap.